Welcome to Open Door Policy. Each episode, Danielle Center and I sit down with a different guest to hear how the Lord is unleashing the gospel through this guest's life in the Archdiocese of Detroit. And today we are blessed to be with Laura Knauss from our Department of Catholic Schools. Laura, how are you? Great. Thanks, Father Steve. How are you? Thank you. I am doing great. And the real star of Open Door Policy, the one, the only Danielle Center. Uh, What say you, Danielle? How are you? Hey, FSP. How are how are things? I am a okay, DC. Good. <laughs> See what I did there? You like that? <laughs> um, Thanks. So, Thank you. Danielle, what uh, what's the Lord doing in your life? So I had I had a big week, and there's been like there've been a lot of things, but the one that I was I was thinking this morning, like, okay, what should what grace should I talk about? And this one is the one that's been like real for me. So I'm going to do a couple things right here. This is kind of intense. First of all just kind of destroy uh, the stigma surrounding mental health care a little bit. Fun fact, I go to therapy. I think that you knew that. I don't know how many of the listeners did. Would 100% recommend. 10 for 10. Such a great experience. There shouldn't be a stigma around it. And I have a therapist and her, I don't know if I'm allowed to say her name, but she has a name. And yeah, I was why don't you say her. your name and then we'll just bleep it out <laughs> so it sounds really mysterious. <laughs> sounds like great. a bad name? Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was talking to her and I was like, hey girl, um, how the other day when we had like our therapy phone meeting, she was like, uh, we were just chatting and I was like, hey, how how's everything on the client front, I think is how I asked it. And she paused and she was like, if you're asking me how everyone seems to be doing, everyone seems to be dealing with some level of hopelessness, helplessness, and or depression. Mm. And I was like, and then she said to me, does that, does that ring a bell? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to, to bring that up because that has been, it actually has given me a lot of grace in my life. Like I wake up and I'm like, this is another day of quarantine and it's really hard for me. And I'm like, but a lot of people are there and like, this doesn't make me a bad Christian. This is just where I am. And a lot of people and a lot of saints have just struggled with like hard seasons. And so just wanted to throw that word out there to the listeners too. If anyone else feels like they're there, I felt like I was, and it helped me a lot. So kind of an intense opener, but it's where I'm going. So how about you? What's where? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. great. I yeah. cannot match you in intensity. Hashtag vulnerability. Yeah. yeah, no, that's beautiful. And thank you for sharing that. I do know how important and vital uh, mental health is and and how therapy can help people um, in all walks of life. So praise God for you being vulnerable and sharing that with us. Um, For me, I have some vacation coming up in a couple of weeks, and I am super, super excited for that. I'm going to go on a little road trip out west, taking about 10 days, going to drive out to Arizona and kind of circle back. Going to drive through this big state in the middle of the country that starts with an N and ends in a... Uh, I don't know, Nebraska, I guess. Anyway, so, <laughs> we, so I, I'm very excited for that. It's been, you know, these road trip things, sometimes you do a lot of planning ahead of time or like getting yeah. excited for where you're going to be. So I am pumped about that. That's Anyway, awesome. this a little, yeah, a little bit longer of an opener than usual. But uh, Laura Knaus, are you ready to answer some rapid fire questions? Yes, please. All right. I'm going to go ahead and ask, and then Danielle will be the follow-up, let's dig a little deeper person. First question, what is the first job that you had? I was a soccer referee. What's the most beautiful church you visited? 
cliche St. Peter's in Rome. Uh, what song has been stuck in your head recently? Ooh, um, Jenny, 8675. Eight, okay, uh, in which <laughs> fictional world would you want to live? Harry Potter. What is your favorite breakfast food? Eggs Benedict. What was the location of one of your most powerful encounters with God? The very small chapel at the retreat center at Broomtree in South Dakota. Mm, yes. Uh, what Bible verse are you kind of attracted to these days? Uh, John 832. Uh, have you ever met anyone famous other than Danielle Center? Um... I met the guys in the band OAR. Hmm. What is your favorite book? Pride and Prejudice. And because you're such a great guest, we're going to give you an 11th bonus question. What is your favorite item of clothing ever? Oh. I have a sparkly black dress that I really like. Awesome. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to jump in here. Um, first of all, Eggs Benedict. Why is that your favorite breakfast food? Do you make it? Does someone make it? Where do you get the best one? Is, is that a paper uh, statement you're making about which pope has been your favorite? Or, no. do you, oh, Sorry. do you know what Eggs Benedict is? <laughs> I do. I'm just saying. Oh, okay. Eggs Benedict the 16th. Yeah. Eggs Benedict the 16th? <laughs> I do not make it myself, which is maybe why it's my favorite, because I it's not something that I'm going to make by myself because I don't feel like I can make the sauce. Mm. Well, yeah. actually, I've never tried. I just kind of assumed I couldn't. Um, so I just kind of like Eggs Benedict wherever I can get it. John 8.32. Elaborate. Um, so that is the, the scripture verse, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Mm. And um, I don't know, it just it, it spoke to me. It stuck with me. Um, and is I think that truth is, is very difficult to come by sometime these days. Sometimes these days, I feel like it's, <laughs> we don't know what's true, what's true and what's not from a, from a political spe- a perspective or the news, that type of thing. And, um, I think the, the, the truth of Jesus sets us free. And, and I think that we need to kind of grasp onto that and realize that even in the midst of some pretty tumultuous times. Danielle or Danielle and Laura, I'm going to interrupt just for a minute to ask you an awesome question. Have you guys seen that auto-tune YouTube video of John Paul II saying that line and him interacting with people? Uh, um, no, but now auto-tuned. I want to. No, it's auto-tuned to that. It is okay. fantastic. Okay. It is like three minutes of pure joy. I'm just going to okay. write that into my notes right here. Okay. Um, and then... Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen fan. What? And there are a lot of Jane Austen books, and that's maybe her best known, but that's not necessarily everyone's favorite. Is there a reason why that one is your favorite? I just kind of like it. I don't know. It was it was a captivating story. I didn't read it until a few years ago, um, and so I just I enjoy the story. It was one of those you once you get past the first part, which is a little bit boring, um, and you just kind of can't put it down. Yeah. And then Broomtree, South Dakota, what's what's going on there and where were you? What's that about? Yeah, and this so, is not the first time it's been mentioned on yeah. this podcast. That's getting a lot of love out there. 
Yeah, so I actually don't know what town it's in in South Dakota. Is it, it is in Irene, South Dakota. Irene, that's right. That's right. Um, and there were a few years in a row where I would go on a retreat there. And um, it's just kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, a few hours away from from Lincoln, Nebraska, where I had been living. And and it was it's just a really peaceful beautiful place, very simple, um, but just had some really powerful prayer experiences there in the midst of those retreats that I had an opportunity to go to. The The little chapel has um, a tabernacle where you can, it has these little doors on the tabernacle so you can expose the Eucharist and pray there. Um, and, and I just have had some really powerful experiences there um, in the time that I've been on retreat. Danielle, have you been to South Dakota? No. And now that you're saying this, I'm like, man, I should go to South Dakota. Um, it's South. Oh, gosh, what else is it's South Dakota great. known for? Badlands? It's Mount got Rushmore. some Badlands, Mount Rushmore, Wall Drug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wall Drug, yes. <laughs> it, it's okay. great. It's one of my favorite Dakotas. Have you ever um, listened to the band OAR, Father Steve? And I also, have, have you ever met them? And also, I, did you get an autograph from the bad boy? I have, yes, all of them. No, I, uh, I've seen them come on the radio. I couldn't tell you a song of theirs right now. Laura, can you sing us a little? Or I will not do that. But um, the Crazy Game of Poker song from years ago is one you might recognize. I'm trying to think oh. of any recent songs. So I met them when I was in college. So they're probably just the most famous people besides Daniel Center that I've met. Well, one last one. Harry Potter, do you have a favorite location? Like it is, it is, you get one place to visit in Harry Potter's world. Where do you go? I would probably go to Diagon Alley would be my guess, or The Room of Requirement would be kind of cool. It's been a while since I've read the Harry Potter books, but um, but I did love them. How many are there, Laura? Are there nine? There are seven. Thanks for sharing all this with us. <laughs> my pleasure. So I, I think I that this is something that Father Steve might not know. So Laura works for Father Steve, but Laura, you and I actually no, met. Oh, but... Don't you guys Doesn't work with each other? Doesn't everyone work for Father Steve? Oh, we're indirectly together <laughs> in the Archdiocese. Yeah, we work together in the Archdiocese. Laura and I actually met at a Mexican restaurant, um, maybe in, I want to say, like, late fall. And I got to hear a little bit of your story then. You are not originally from Detroit. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you here and what the Holy Spirit's been doing? Sure. Um, so I had been living prior to moving to Detroit. I moved to Detroit in July of 2019 um, to work for the Archdiocese, but I had been living in Lincoln, Nebraska prior to that. Um, I actually moved to Lincoln, Nebraska from Wisconsin when I was in middle school. Um, I grew up Catholic. Um, I always went to mass when I was younger. We always prayed before meals. It's just kind of um, normal. That's just kind of what we did. Um, When I moved after I moved to Nebraska. Um, I, I felt like you know I had gone to Catholic schools up until middle school and through middle school and high school, and felt that I got a really I was very well catechized. I think during um, during my Catholic school years, um, particularly here in Lincoln, um, 
the summer after I graduated from high school, I had gone on a retreat and, um, it was a retreat that a lot of kids went to, um, in my high school and, um, just not something I wanted to do in high school, but the summer after I graduated, it's called Teens Encounter Christ. And it was, um, an experience of, um, prayer and encounter with Jesus that I'd never really had before. Um, I don't want to say it didn't stick, but, um, but it was, it was something that, that I think was, I can look back and think about that's one of the times when, when God was working on me, I feel like God's been working on me for a very long time. Um, I went to college, I went to the university of Nebraska and, uh, was kind of involved with the Newman Center, kind of not involved. I got involved with some other things in college too. Um, so I was just sort of half in, uh, half out of the church, still went to mass for the most part, um, got involved with some of the retreats there and RCIA. Um, the spring of my sophomore year of college, I studied abroad and I um, spent the semester in the Czech Republic. And hmm. after that, I got to travel a little bit and I went to Rome and I got to see John Paul II. So he had an audience and that was a point of um, something I, I really didn't understand at the time. I was in, I was in the audience, the hall, um, the Paul VI hall. Is that what it is? I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure what it is, but it's one with, of the With indoor... that big thing in the back, the kind of like yes. sprawling the, <laughs> bush thing. Yeah. The thing, yes. yes the the, the thing not the so attractive looking thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And so, um, so I was in this giant hall with a whole bunch of strangers and, and John Paul II came wow. on stage and he was, he was old at the time and I just started weeping and I had, no idea what was going on. And yeah. so I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, and then just kind of went on, went on my way. Um, but I went to World Youth Day that year too. So yeah. I, I came back from um I came back from from my time abroad and then went to World Youth Day in Toronto, which was another encounter with him. I just I don't know what it was about him. My my parents were uh Pol or my grandparents, excuse me, were um uh, were Polish immigrants. And I think that I've always kind of been drawn to the to the the Polishness of John Paul II. Um, but then um, in college, you know, I, I was never really figured out what I was going to do. Um, I, you know, I always thought I'd, I'd study something and then become a lawyer um, and move on with my life. But I, I started working at a summer camp um, when I was in college as well, a Catholic summer camp in Wisconsin, um, where I got to just have fun and be around kids. And, and we got to lead, uh, lead devotions and, and it was a, a Catholic camp. Um, and it was, a, it was a great, a great experience for me of, of working in Catholic community. And I thought at that time, I said, Oh, maybe I should be a teacher. Um, you know, I went back to college and said, Oh, I think I want to be a teacher. And they said, well, you're going to be in school this many more years if you want to do that. So I said, ah, forget that. And, hmm. um, I got a business degree actually. So I just finished school, um, and then decided to volunteer at the same camp for a year after I graduated from college. I've always been drawn to service. Um, and that was something that it was a way for me to, um, to give. And I loved camp and I loved doing that. So we taught outdoor education for kids. We led retreats, um, did confirmation retreats, spiritual retreats, leadership retreats, that type of thing. And so I've always kind of felt called to serve. Um, and then after I finished that year of service in, in Wisconsin, I, I started a, a teaching program, a service teaching program in Chicago. So I moved to Chicago and, and taught for two years at a Catholic school there. Um, and early on in that, in that experience, I, um, 
I felt called to administration, to leadership in Catholic schools. Um, and again, this was this was just kind of my experience of the faith. Um, and after I, it was a, a very challenging two years of, of service in Chicago, and I decided to stay, even though I didn't have a job. I called my fun employment time um, because I was I was just living in Chicago and not really doing anything with myself. Um, and and I I remember this moment and. I realized God has given me so many gifts and experiences. What am I doing? What am I doing with myself? And it was, you know, I was, I was not very happy because I wasn't doing anything. And, and, you know, I was just traipsing around Chicago and, and I decided, you know, it's like kind of this, what did I love doing? And I, I, I actually went to California for a, a brief period of time back to outdoor education. Cause it was something that I loved. It was a CYO camp out there. Um, and then again, I found myself in this position of what am I going to do with my life and, um, figured I would, you know, come back to where my parents are. And I, I got a teaching job in Lincoln thinking I would be here, um, for a year, uh, till I figured out what I was actually going to do with my life and, and realized in that, that this is where I was supposed to be. So I got mm. to work at this little Catholic school, um, in Lincoln, Nebraska and realized, okay, this is, this is where I'm meant to be. This is where God wants me to be. Um, and then I started an administrative program, uh, to be a principal thinking, you know, 10 years down the road, I'll become a principal. I, it was always Catholic schools too. Um, I don't, I don't know why I just never had any desire to work anywhere other did, than a Catholic school. Did you go to a Catholic school growing up? I did. Or? I went to, I went to Catholic schools, kindergarten through 12th grade. Okay. So I went to Sacred Hearts School in Wisconsin and then went to St. Joseph's School and then Pius the 10th here, in, um, in Lincoln. And Danielle, you were homeschooled, right? Is that was that the whole the whole shebang from kindergarten through yeah. high school? I okay. I'm one of five kids, um, and I was the only the only one to to do all of my home like all of my education at home um, until college. But so everyone had quite of a different experience. But I'm always like interested in school because it's like a yeah. it's like a world I didn't know. Yeah, so I, I'm a product like you, Laura, through and through of Catholic schools. Uh, you were talking about, you know, your life as uh, as a Catholic school teacher, wanting to be a Catholic school administrator. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I started this administrative program at the University of Notre Dame to become a principal, thinking ten years down the road I would become a principal, and and you know just. Things happened, and uh, I became a principal the year, a year later. So I was, I was pretty young at the time, um, and so I then became responsible for forming the people who were forming the children at the school. Um, which it was the in the program of at Notre, at the University of Notre Dame, the Marian Remick Leadership Program, where I really learned what a Catholic school is and um, how how beautifully the church talks about our schools as places of evangelization. And that was something that in all of my time as a student and as a, a teacher up till that point, I, I had never read any of the church documents on Catholic education um, and and really just was was really steeped in, in the beautiful way that the church speaks of the schools. And um, that was the first time I remember playing, praying Liturgy of the Hours. Um, and just, it was, it was a, a, an excellent formation uh, program where I then learned how to form others. And, and so kind of right after I finished that program, I came back to Lincoln and um, had taken a Theology of the Body class from uh, a priest here who, who teaches these classes and um, was really faced with this idea of, I am forming these people and I 
I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and so I, I had, I had, had received this, this wonderful formation in what the church teaches or schools are. And I think that I personally was just kind of missing part of the point of, of our faith. And I, I, I had never, I don't know how this happened, but, but the faith for me was just something I did. It wasn't, um, it wasn't about relationship for me. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, you go to mass, you do these rules, you, you know, you follow these rules, you do these things. And and that's, Hmm. that's kind of how it is. It's like a moral code. um, Yeah. It was just that, that was normal. That's routine. That's kind of it. It's, it's a good thing. Um, And so not to say that I didn't have points in my life where, um, I felt the presence of God, like those things were very real to me, but, um, but that, that theology, the body class just kind of like knocked me over, um, as far as. Can I ask, uh, uh, Laura, is this Father Sean Kokali? It is. Oh. It yeah. is. Yes. You know him. He's a Michigan native. I do. And he's come out to share a little, um, to give a talk to some of our educators before you got here. And I was super impressed with his uh, ability to break open theology of the body. Oftentimes when people talk about TOB, theology of the body, it's just in the way we relate sexually, the way we think about, you know, our sexual nature with in relation to marriage or chastity. But I thought he did one of the best jobs I've seen of explaining the whole theology of the body and how it relates into all these other places of our lives. And I thought he was super gifted with that. Hmm. Yes, I, I would. I would agree with that. He he's had a tremendous impact on my life, um, and and part of it was that class. It was a jumping point to um, just really understanding the truth of what it means to be a person. I mean, that's what that's what theology of the body is. It's like what is our identity and who are we before God? Um, and and it was hearing that message and how he presented it, where I just like oh, I was just kind of rocked. I was like, I don't I don't get this. <laughs> like I don't understand this. I don't know what this is. Um, and so, and from then he, he, um, he, he became my spiritual director actually for a, a number of years. And, and I will, I'll never forget one of the first times I met with him. Um, he asked these two questions, um, and you know, the first one was who is Jesus? And the second one was, who are you to Jesus? And, and I just remember like, a deer in the headlights. I was like, who is Jesus? And I was like, the savior of the world, you know, like a sort of impersonal, like this is the answer I'm supposed to give you sort of thing. And then, you know, who are you to Jesus was the question I answered, like, uh, I don't know, some schmo who hopefully doesn't screw up too much sort of thing. And just Mm. like that, you know, just reflecting on that, like, if that's who I think I am to Jesus, like, okay, there's a problem here, you know, (laughs) sort of thing. And so, that was something that, that was, um, you know, and, and, and through, um, from that point, I I really learned how to pray. Like I prayed with scripture for the first time and, and he guided me a lot through, um, through that and how to do that. And, um, you know, through Lexio Divina, so praying with scripture, um, I really encountered the love of God in a way that I'd never experienced before. And that has transformed every aspect of my life. Um, and I went from someone who was trying to, um, to earn God's love. I can do enough, you know, I can, Hmm. I can earn God's love to, you know, that's not who I am and that's not who God is. Um, and, and really understanding that, that who I am matters to God and he loves me no matter what. 
um, and and wants me to live in that and share that with other people. And so those were some really important um, moments in my own transformation. And, and that's, you know, an ongoing process. Conversion is an ongoing process. And um, yeah, especially as someone that, you know, I see you as very driven and very competent and really looking to get things done. That can be a trap that we fall into, right? Where we're kind of measuring our our success or our, our worth based on what we do because we like doing things or because we're 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 always kind of uh, a driven personality. Uh, I I think that can be that can be a trap where we start to define relationships that way instead of um, in in a deeper way with the Lord. Absolutely, and that was definitely something that um, has been a problem for me. Um, and just trying to, um, I think Brene Brown is one who, who's like, I have to hustle for my worth. Um, and so it's like, well, if I just do enough, then it'll then then I'll be worth it, you know. And and that's to, to wrestle with that is it can be a very difficult thing, a very painful thing um, to understand that it's not about that. You know, it's a great way to get out of that is by living through a quarantine where you're stuck at home <laughs> and can't do anything for months. Uh-huh. <laughs> at least that's how I feel. I don't know about you, it's Danielle. It's been longer than Laura. a month. I, yeah. Well, for months, yeah. 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 Here we yeah. are, though. Here we are. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, and so these are, these are the things that were, you know, were just striking me and I didn't really know how to handle them. I didn't know how to process kind of what was going on and like, how do I actually receive God's love and how do I receive who I am from God, you know, rather than trying to build that and create that. Um, and, you know, it's just the, you know, the, the, I, when I was praying with, um, the gospel of John and Nicodemus, where he's, where, um, Jesus says to him, you're the teacher of Israel and you do not understand this, where he's talking about being born of the spirit. And, and I, I, that struck me because here I am a a leader of a Catholic school and I don't understand what it means to Hmm. be loved by God. Like that was, talk about, you know, for someone who's an achiever. (laughs) That was a, that was a little, um, that was an important point of, okay, like I, I, this isn't about what I can do. This is what I need to realize that this is about what God can do through me. And I, and that was, that was a, a, a transformative point for me is when I went from like, look what I'm going to do to, to allowing God to work through me. Okay, so we did some time in Nebraska, and then you ended up in Detroit. Um, was that something you had expected to see happen, or what kind of brought you here? Who does uh, not want to end up in Detroit, right? Like, for who, sure. what, children around the country are going to bed tonight saying, wishing, "Mommy, wishing Daddy, on a star, Father God, can you please help me get to Detroit one day?" Anyway, go never ahead. in a million years did I think I would end up in Detroit. Um, so when I was in my, uh, my eighth year as a principal, um, at a school in, um, here in, in Nebraska, I'm actually in Nebraska right now, um, visiting my parents. So I'm doing, doing this remotely. Um, but I, um, yeah, I knew I was leaving, 
um, and, and had no idea what I was going to do. Um, and a, a mentor of mine sent me the job opening, um, here in Detroit. And I said, Oh, that's nice. Looks like a great job. No, thanks. Detroit's a little bit random. Um, for me, I, <laughs> I'd heard of it. I had heard of it. <laughs> um, and it's just, I'd never, I've never visited, um, never really had an interest. Um, and, uh, then a couple weeks go by and somebody else sent me the same job opening and said, I think you should apply for this job. And I said, okay, well, I'll check it out, which led to a conversation with, uh, the superintendent. And he said, oh, you know, send me your, send me your information. And I said, okay, great. I'll just, um, have a conversation with this guy and, um, then politely decline any sort of involvement with Detroit. Um, he sent me the unleashing your Catholic schools document, um, to look over and just see if I was, I was interested in being part of what he was trying to build here in Detroit. And, um, in that document, obviously it, it references unleash the gospel quite a few times. And so I was, I was actually going to be interviewing with the interview team and I said, Oh, well, this document seems kind of important. Um, I should read it. And so in preparation for my interview for the, for the position with the department of Catholic schools, I, I read unleash the gospel and, um, I have a vivid memory of sitting in my apartment with this printed out copy of unleash the gospel and just audibly as I was reading it, just like, yeah, um, this is what we need to be doing. I was, I was just hmm. moved in a way that, um, was entirely unexpected and, uh, just really compelling to me. Um, I, I, I couldn't stop reading it and it was just, um, I think spot on. I think you could, and I think other people have said this too, you could just remove Detroit and insert any city here. And this is what we need in the church. And, and, um, I just found it to be beautiful, a beautiful document, incredibly compelling. And then I interviewed for the job, went to visit Detroit, uh, for the interview. And then, um, and now I, um, have lived there for just about 11 months. I love the city. I think it's an mm -hmm. awesome city. I really enjoy it. And, um, I get a lot of, actually, it was funny because when I, uh, first was moving to Detroit, uh, people would be like, Oh, Hey, where are you going? I said, Oh, Detroit. They're like, Oh, huh. 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 Hmm. Huh. All right. <laughs> and wow. then when I got to Detroit, they're like, where are you from? And I said, Nebraska. And they're like, oh, huh. What's that like? And so, and so it was just kind of a, a funny sort of, you know, both sides mm -hmm. were like, I don't know anything about that place. But um, I, I, I loved working for the Archdiocese. I remember you coming, Laura, and having lunch with you when you were kind of yep. doing a little, you know when the school department was feeling you out and you were feeling them out mm -hmm. to see if it would be a good fit. So that was, yeah. that was great both of to you, in your experiences as Catholic students and then like in Catholic leadership, um, what were some of the, the things that like you have from your childhood that you hope that this generations of students can like receive from their Catholic education? Uh, well, I think on that score, I'm very grateful for the support my family, especially my parents, gave me. Um, Catholic schools, I think, have come a long way, and we're st we're still making progress to really um, to live fully the Catholic worldview in a world that more and more puts forward a different. Um, not just d definition of like of happiness in the world, but a radically different definition of the human person, what flourishing looks like, um, what it means to interact with each other, right? This kind of um, foundational differences uh, between what Christ offers in his church and what the the world, especially parts of the world that have 
pulled far away from those uh, roots in natural law and those roots in um, God-given revelation, uh, just putting forward a, a radically different worldview. So my hope for Catholic education is that our young people can can be rooted in this worldview that puts God at the center of our lives, that they know they have a vocation, a calling from God, and that... Um, they're called to do some definite service, that God has a plan for their lives and their plan is not divorced from God's plan for the world, and that God loves them and his plan is for their flourishing here on earth and their ultimate happiness in heaven. That's it. That's that's what I have. Go ahead, Laura. I, I don't think I really appreciated the value of my Catholic education until I, I became an adult uh, when, I, when I was able to really appreciate the opportunities that I had and to know that I was loved um, by God and in this community, which again, I didn't really, I don't think I really recognized as a child, but um, I had a lot of support. I was always, um, we went to mass when I, when I moved to Lincoln, when I was in elementary school, we went to mass every day. And that was something that was new to me, um, but was, was an experience. And even when I was a a teacher and a principal here in, in, in Lincoln, we, we, um, got to go to mass every day together. So there's this common worship. It, again, it was just it was just normal to me. Um, and that goes back to the Catholic worldview. It's how we see people. And I think that's what one of the things that sets our our Catholic schools apart is who that who we see these children and our and coworkers in our schools to be are reflections of God. They're the image of God and and how we treat them and what that means and the reality of what that means and um, how we can live fully as Catholic Christians in a community um, in a way that changes our life and changes is leaven for society and changes the changes the world. Um, I think that at our schools can and should be a place of formation in that, where, again, that that radical decision to, to follow Christ and putting that above everything else is is what our, our schools should be about and are about. And um, that's something, again, it's uh, that's what we should be striving to, to do in our schools and, and to really form followers of Jesus who can then form other followers of Jesus. I don't know if that answered your question, but I, I think it was a better answer than I gave. So you guys both give great answers. <laughs> I, don't be so I, hard I, on I yourselves. Give, I give you an A minus on your answer. Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, wait, for me, stop. So. Let me guys see the rubric. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, when we were we were talking before, Laura, you said something. I don't even know if you remember saying this, but it has stuck with me for the past few months. And you talked about um, some like you called it. You didn't want to give a kid only so much Jesus that they became, quote unquote, inoculated against the faith. Kind of like, here's a taste of the faith, but not like, not like a invitation to relationship and discipleship. It's just enough for a kid to be like, oh, yeah, I went to Catholic school. I'm not into that kind of stuff. You know, that kind of thing. And I, I thought that was really stunning Some, and something to think about a lot and something to, like, really work against. So just um, in that vein, like, that's a big, that's a big project um, for, for you guys as, 
as Catholic leaders, what are your thoughts on that? How do we do a good job of like really forming kids instead of just, you know, inoculating them against Mm -hmm. something good? I really think it starts with each of us as individuals. I think that you know, we talk about the the new evangelization and what's new about evangelization. You know, it's 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 how we do it. It's 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 the energy with which we do it. Right. But I think that it has to start with ourselves. Like we have to recognize that that our ongoing conversion and our ongoing formation is really essential to forming others. And so, I one of the things that was most compelling about this this opportunity here at the Archdiocese for me was and was to work with principals because the principals working with pastors are are instrumental in the spiritual leadership of, of a school. And so mm-hmm. if our principals are formed well, then they will work to form the teachers and walk with them. You know, that that idea of accompaniment is so important and and we as a as a community should be working towards knowing Jesus more and loving him better and being loved more by him um, and, and, and kind of accepting that and growing as disciples together. But I think it starts with our own formation. And, and, and really, I think that once, once someone has made that decision um, to be a follower of Jesus, like you can't help but want to bring people with you. And, and that's something that has been um, that, that I've experienced in my life. It's, it's like, um, like Benedict says in um, Eggs Benedict or Pope Benedict. <laughs> Eggs Benedict <laughs> the sixteenth. Uh, nice, I like that way to bring it back. But um, but it, it's not it's not being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, isn't about like some sort of ethical choice. And I think we've reduced right. it to that in a lot of ways. And so, I mean, why would I just want to follow all these rules? I mean, nobody wants to do that. Like you follow a person and, and, and the rules don't mean anything if you don't know the person. And, and so, you know, this idea of, oh, it's just this really hard thing that you're probably going to fail at isn't fair because that's not what it's about. It's about radical transformation. And, and I think that, that the dumbing down of the faith, the reduction of the faith um, has had detrimental impacts on the church and, and on individuals as well. It's like, we have something like what Jesus is offering us is full life in him. And we've kind of reduced it to, um, I don't know, something that's not authentic and it's just not appealing. Then I don't think it's, it's a, it's lukewarm and nobody wants tepid anything. Yeah. Especially when it runs uh, counter to the ethos, the spirit of the world. Because the more and more the gospel becomes uh, against what, you know, the popular culture or general society is proposing, the more it takes a conviction for us to proclaim it and to live it. And so when John Paul II articulated the the new evangelization that Pope Paul VI uh, kind of called for, but John Paul II really broke that open for us to understand it. He said, it's new in ardor, new in methods, and new in expressions. So we need a new ardor, a new kind of fervor and desire and conviction about the truths of the gospel and not just the truths, but the relationship that the gospel invites us into. And to share that with 21st century men and women, 
We need to have new expressions, things that speak to their lives and their experiences, and new methods, new ways of proclaiming the gospel. So those who are attentive to all these things will know that, you know, Laura's... uh, uh, phrasing about the dumbing down of Catholicism is uh, is often mentioned by Bishop Barron, who mm-hmm. to me is like the one way out front leading us into what it means uh, for us to think about new methods of proclaiming the gospel. Uh, his leadership in this call for the new evangelization that that we need to be convicted more and more about. Well, and, and, and Bishop Barron, I think, is having a tremendous impact on on the church, so so people who are already part of the church, but his his going out, he engages with with the culture in a way that that nobody mm-hmm. else does, and and that's what we all need to be doing somehow. And and I think that his um, his ministry of equipping evangelizers is is really transformative and the word on fire institute and his 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 commentary on youtube and all of the all of the resources Mm -hmm. i I think he just gets it in a way that he's he's so confident in who he is and the truth of what he's proclaiming and that's that's appealing and people people respond to that and he's incredibly articulate and intelligent and and that's that's attractive wait are are you talking about bishop Barron right now or yes Oh, no, okay. you. Yes, Bishop oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> ah, just kidding. <laughs> just teasing you guys. So I don't work a lot with like young people, but I sometimes get put in those positions because people are like, you seem like you'd like kids. And I do like them. I just don't work with them a lot. One thing that I'm always really struck by whenever I interact with like middle school, high schoolers is how incredibly hard each of their battles is like what what high schoolers and middle schoolers face is so intense right internet cyberbullying online pornography um let alone like just questions about identity and self all of these things are so intense and Whenever I, I think about those things, I think at one year I was a camp counselor up at Camp Sancta Maria, and I remember talking to Father Spezia, who I think you guys both know too. He was the chaplain of the time, and he was like, you know what? He's like, maybe like 50 or 60 years ago when kids went to summer camp, like, and they had intact family structures and neighborhoods who cared about them and like all these things, maybe all they needed to do was hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And he's like, but today's kids are facing such intense battles that I feel like I need to give them the best tools, like the best tools that we have as Christian faithful. Right. So like, like you said, Laura, mass every day and adoration and like access to the sacraments, confession, Um, and that really, I just really loved his perspective of like, like, these are not people who are going to be Christians one day. These are like leaders in their realms today. And like, they're so, they're fighting such hard battles and need such good, like care, right. And guidance and mentorship and all of that as well. But it's something that's never left me too. I think you're right. These are unprecedented challenges uh, that young people are facing and um, not just young people, but particularly in this conversation, young people. uh, And it requires unprecedented response. And, uh, you know, where where sin abounds, St. Paul says, grace abounds all the more. So as Mm -hmm. the darkness of the world 
or can get more intense if you think about that in a macro way or just one person's particular life, uh, the grace of God abounds all the more. And so that should be our, our kind of call to hope. Um, Amen. Laura, just to, to bring us to a close here, uh, we usually give our guests the last word. Is there anything you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Yeah, actually, thanks. I, I wanted to to share just a brief story that goes back to what Danielle said at the at the very beginning. Um, so these these times of isolation and and um, just difficulty for a lot of people. Um, I I live alone, and I have uh, the Tremblays. Actually, Danielle, we um, mm-hmm. that's how I met Danielle. They uh, they introduced us, but um, throughout the you know they've become very good friends of mine. They're wonderful people, and and we would we would Facetime you know once a week or so um, just to check in during during quarantine. And on Holy Saturday, Holy Saturday was a really tough day for me. Um, I feel like God. God was um, very good to me during this time of quarantine. I live in Detroit. My family, I don't have any family near me at all. And on Holy Saturday, it was a particularly just difficult day for me. I was really sad and because I couldn't couldn't go home for Easter and, and you know, all of the, the Easter things. You know, I made pierogi with my mom on FaceTime and it just made mm-hmm. me sad and, you know, all of these things. And um, I'd had a, had a scheduled um, time of, of, you know, chatting with them. And I was, I was a mess. I was crying. And I said, I'm not mm-hmm. going to talk to them right now. Hey, can we move it to later? And um, thinking I could, like, get myself together um, and, 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 and pull it together before they had to see me as this like hot mess express, um, you know, crying and everything. And, and it, and it got to the point where we had, you know, rescheduled. And I just said, I just, I, I texted and I said, Hey, I'm like a mess right now. Cause I'm really sad. And, and, um, Katie replied, she's like, do you want to talk? And I said, no, but I think I probably should. And, um, so, you know, we jumped on FaceTime and they were just so good to me. Um, and it was this, and, and, in my sadness, like to invite someone into that and to be able to share that with them was what I really needed at that point in time, like to be okay. And so, you know, you talked about how like, it's okay to, to be, to struggle, you know, just don't be afraid to reach out, I guess. Um, and, and, and there are people, um, there are people who want to help you and support you. And, and they were that for me. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, but, but it was, it was a point of like, I'm not going to be okay. I, I'm, I need someone to be with me yeah. in this. Um, so, you know, just not being afraid to ask for help, I think is really important um, in a spiritual way um, and uh, socially, emotionally, all of those things. Um, and that was really good. I mean, they, it's that's what we're supposed to do as a, a Catholic family, you know, and and uh, as Catholic Christians is to reach out and support people. And so just to I just wanted to reiterate um, kind of what you said at the beginning, like it's really important that if you're struggling with something, get ask, ask someone, just let someone know and let people love you and help you. Usually we uh, end on that, but I, I'm going to take this a little bit further, is that yesterday I was in one of those spots where I was like, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, right? It's just hard. And I was talking to one of my friends and usually I'm like the happy one, right? And I was like, you know, I'm just having a really hard day. And my friend, like, you know, like we talked about it. I cried a little and he said, I like this part of you too. Like this it's okay to also be in a hard spot, right? Like that's, that's total friendship, not just you can see my best side, but like you can see all of me. So, 
So shout out to you, shout out to the Tremblay, shout out to everyone who is being a friend and everyone who needs a friend. You guys take care of yourselves. The end. Amen. Big thanks to Laura Knaus, our special guest today. Big thanks to Father Steve Polis, my co-host. Big thanks to the listeners. You guys are the best. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, your Trader Joe cashier. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Open Door Detroit. Help us unleash the gospel. Open Door Policy was produced by Ron Pangborn and the creative team of the Archdiocese of Detroit. Doesn't everyone work for Father Steve? Is that real? Oh, get out of here. I'm Father Steve Polis with Danielle Center. And this has been another episode of Open Door Policy. Okay, cool. Let me know if you need anything else, okay? We, okay, we'll see what happens. Just keep me updated. I'm happy to help you guys. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Super. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ron. All right. Bye.